And ask you why you're standing, please. I didn't even have to ask you this morning. Good job. You just kind of stood up. The book of John this morning, please. We're going to give the choir a chance to, to get down and get in the sanctuary. <clears throat> it is just a delight this morning to see you. So glad that you're here. And I believe that it's going to be a, a wonderful day. We've already had a wonderful time in the presence of God. And then I'm looking forward to tonight and being with Freedom's Crossing. It's going to be a wonderful evening to be together. Let me just remind uh, the parents of our students and our student ministry, Pastor Jeremy and Tasha, there'll be a parents meeting this morning right after service in the conference or the fire room, whichever you call it. If you have students that are in that ministry, uh, we encourage you to be there today and uh, be a part of that meeting. John chapter 17 this morning, please, if you will go there with me. I kept you standing, didn't tell you where I wanted you to go. I'm sorry. John chapter 17 this morning. And I want to begin a little series uh, today, a little two-part series entitled The Power uh, the Power of One. And um, I'm going to talk about a united church this week. And then next week I want to talk about a united family. And uh, I want to take these next couple of Sundays and talk about the power of one. So in John uh, 17... I'm going to pick up in the 6th verse, and I'm going to read through the 11th verse. This entire chapter uh, is a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's quite possibly the most significant and most meaningful prayer that Jesus ever prayed. A lot of commentators and theologians call it the Lord's Prayer, Because in this prayer, he prayed directly to his Father. He prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for believers everywhere. He prayed for his disciples that they would be kept from sin. He prayed they would be strengthened for their work, for their assignment. He prayed they would be brought safe to heaven. Now, here's what you're saying, Pastor. I thought we already had a Lord's Prayer. There is a Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, but there's no way that Jesus could ever pray that prayer. Because in that prayer, he taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Jesus could never pray for forgiveness. Some of you missed that this morning. I mean, he could never pray that. You know why he could never pray that? Because he never sinned. So the Lord's Prayer was a prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, but John 17 is literally the Lord's Prayer because he prays to his Father. So in John 17, beginning at verse number 6, you can follow along on the screen behind me, or if you are still traditionalist and bring your Bible to church, and you should bring your Bible to church, you can look at yours, cheat off of somebody, or turn on on an electronic device, whatever you have today. And I'm going to pick up in the sixth verse. These are the words of Christ. "I, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Verse 8, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. They have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. Do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10, and all mine are yours. 
and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I want you to pay careful attention here to verse 11. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, Jesus said, keep through your name those whom you have given me. Now, watch this last line right here. That they may be one as we are. Do you see that? Jesus prayed, Father, keep them. Keep them through your name. That those that you have given me, that they may be one. Somebody say one. That they may be one as we are. And obviously he's referencing there the Trinity. One as we are, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're three, but yet they're one. Jesus prayed for them to be one. I want to take a few moments this morning and begin this series entitled The Power of One. And I want us this morning to talk about a united church, a united church, or a church united. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, God, these moments that we have had to be together today. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that I sense in this building today. Touch us together as we dive into your word. Give us revelation. Give us knowledge. God, help me to articulate and communicate to these people exactly what you want them to hear, God. Let me say nothing more and nothing less. God, I lean on you today. I need you. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you for your help. Church United. There was a man by the name of Herman Oster who had a barn floor that was under 29 inches of water because of a rising creek. His goal that day, the Bruno Nebraska native, had a goal to move a 17,000-pound barn to a new foundation that was a little over 143 feet away. So Mr. Oster invited 344 of his closest friends to a barn raising. His son, Mark, had devised this ladder work of steel tubing that he had bolted and nailed and welded to the inside and outside of the barn. Hundreds of handles were attached. And after one practice lift, 344 of Mr. Oster's closest friends moved that 17,000-pound barn up an incline. In a matter of three minutes, 344 people lifted that barn and moved it to a new foundation. Now, if 344 of those people had taken turns trying to lift that barn, they would have seriously hurt themselves. But because they worked together, 
their strength was multiplied exponentially. Now think about it. If that kind of synergistic power is available to us in the natural world, just think what God will do for us when we work together spiritually. We could raise some serious barns. The Scripture speaks plainly and speaks powerfully about this thing called unity. And that's really what this little series, The Power of One, is all about. It's about unity. I'm not preaching it because there's problems in the church. I'm not preaching it because there's discord or divisiveness in this church. Everything, as far as I know, is peaceful. Everybody seems to be together. But I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to remind this particular body that we are more powerful together than we are alone. And I don't necessarily want to speak to the body of Christ as a whole today, though I am speaking to them. I want to speak specifically to our congregation this morning. The Bible tells us in Psalm 133 that when brethren dwell together in unity, it's a pleasant and it's a good thing. But presently, we are living in a very divisive and a very fragmented world. It feels to me, and maybe some of you you might would disagree, but it feels like to me that there has been this us versus them culture that has been created in our country. It's the Democrats versus the Republicans. It's the Christians versus the non-Christians. It's the blacks versus the whites. It's the homosexuals versus the straight. And it just seems like we have in this country, we're living in a very divided, fragmented culture. It reminds me of something that I read this past week. I've been reading through a a book in the Old Testament. It's a little small book. It's called Habakkuk. Theologians call him a minor prophet, but I would suggest that even though he's a minor prophet, he had a major message. And in Habakkuk 1 and 3, in the, in the culture and the context of the time that he was living in, here's what he said. He said, violence and destruction are before me. There is strife, Habakkuk said, and conflict abounds. Thousands of years ago, he penned that in a culture that seems eerily similar to what we're living in right now. I'd like to submit to you today that a fractured church has no answer and is of no help to a fragmented world. It's okay if you help me preach today. I mean, I'm not that interested for you just to sit there and look at me, so help me preach a little bit. It's been said that 
We don't have to see eye to eye in order to walk hand in hand. But we do have to be together. Because united we will stand, but divided we will fall. Unity is a powerful thing. And I don't know if any of you the last several nights have watched any of the Olympics. I've, I've watched the Olympics quite a bit. And we were sitting in the living room the other night watching the Olympics. We just had happened to turn it on. And there was this event called Synchronized Diving. And that's probably not my first event that I would choose to watch. But it was on nonetheless. So it's the platform, the big platform they dive off of. And I've probably watched synchronized diving before, but that night I was just kind of drawn to it, and I watched these, these men in these god-awful bathing suits that they wear. I just had to throw that in. Sorry. Can we not find some OPs from Walmart or something? <clears throat> Sorry. And I'm watching these men now, this big platform, and they are so in sync, thus you have synchronized diving. I mean, they start and they are just stepped in, I mean, step for step with each other. I mean, they are, I mean, right in, in time with each other. They, 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 they walk or they do their little jog. I mean, they're in step. They come off that board at the same time. They flip at the same time, somersault at the same time. It's almost like you're watching one person dive. So I had a spiritual moment. I'm watching that, and I said, oh, my gosh. Would you look at that? The unity is a powerful thing. And my carnal-minded children, I mean, I'm trying to have a moment here. And I'm, I mean, I'm watching this in unity, and they both say to me, Dad, everything doesn't always have to be spiritual, does it? Little heathens. I'm having a moment here. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm having this, this revelation. And I'm watching these guys in step and sink and flipping and twisting. I mean, they enter the water at precisely the same moment. It looks like one person. I said, it looks like they're so united. It looks like one person diving. And my 12-year-old goes, no, it doesn't. I said, yes, it does. What do you know anyways? You're 12. But here's the point. There's power in unity. And Jesus prayed for his disciples to be one because he understood the power that comes from being one. I mean, there's all kinds of examples in, in, in the Scripture. Genesis chapter 6, I don't have time to unpack all of that for you, but it's the, the people of that day and that time that decided they were going to build this tower and the Bible says when they were of one language and of one speech and one people, they begin to build this tower and they said to themselves, we will build a tower that reaches to heaven and we will make a name for ourselves. And they were okay up to that point, but because their motives were not pure, God had to come down and confuse their language because here's what he said, because of the unity that they have. 
Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them because they are one. So he comes down, he confuses their language, and thus we have the Tower of Babel. And thus we get the term babbling because they were one language, one speech, and then in just a moment of time, there's such confusion and nothing can be done. Listen, we can accomplish nothing if we're not together. Are you okay this morning? You're going to have to help me. I'll keep you all day. <clears throat> we see in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 5 as Solomon's preparing to, to dedicate the temple and he's bringing the furniture into the sanctuary. And the Bible said when the, when the trumpeters and the singers were as one voice to be lifted up making one sound. And there's this unified praise that happens. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not even walk in and minister because of the glory and the presence of God that came as a result of people being one voice, making one sound, singing one song to a God that was in heaven. There's power in unity. And then we see it in Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4, here's what it said. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place, and they were in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Listen, when we unify ourselves together and when the church becomes united, there is nothing that is impossible for us. There is power in unity this morning. <clears throat> and there is in Scripture, quite possibly in my opinion, one of the greatest examples of a church united, a united church, is in the book of Acts chapter 2. It is the early church. It is the New Testament church. It is the church that has been birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit. 120 men and women have had this encounter in an upper room where the Holy Spirit has come down. I just read it to you. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the church is born at that moment, at that day. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, the church has grown from 120 to 3,000 thousand people in just a matter of time. You know why? Because the church was united. Now, let me just help you. I'm going to be a little pastoral today. And most people that come to church on Sunday, they come because they need a sermon that makes them feel good and talks about meeting every single need that they have. I'm not going to preach that today. You have to come back maybe next Sunday and get that. But I am going to preach to you today about the church, and about the church being united, about the church being one. And when I look in the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, I see a picture of a church that was united. Now, if you've got a Bible, you can keep that open. I'm not, I'm not going to quote all of those verses or read all of those verses to you, but here's the first thing I see about that church in the book of Acts, that New Testament church, that early church. They were a church that was united in purpose. They were united in the purpose of proclaiming the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say something right here. If we preach, if we promote, if we 
propagate, if we proclaim any other message to this community than the Lord Jesus Christ, we do this community and we do these people that live in this community a disservice. We must preach Jesus Christ. Nothing more and nothing less. They need to hear about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Peter came out of the upper room that day, listen, for 25 verses from Acts 2, beginning at verse 14 and through verse 39, Peter preached the life of Jesus Christ. He preached the death of Jesus Christ. He preached the burial of Jesus Christ. He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the time Peter was done preaching that day, 3,000 people had been added to the church and had made a confession. I want to tell you that preaching Jesus worked way back in the book of Acts and it will still work today. There are people outside of these four walls that walk these streets and and live in this community and the only message of hope that they're going to have is if the churches in this community and that includes ours that we stand up, we step out and we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord he died for their sins he was buried in a tomb he was raised on the third day and he's coming back again our purpose can be nothing more and nothing less than to proclaim the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on and praise the Lord today. Here's what Paul said in Galatians 1 and 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be a curse. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Here's what he said. For I determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Listen, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. There's a lot of stuff we can preach about. There's a lot of stuff we can promote. But I'm still convinced there is a basic principle that worked for the New Testament church. It'll work for the Pulaski Church of God. Let's just preach the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need no gimmicks. We don't need any games. We don't need a new song. We don't need another program. We don't need another ministry. But we need another message that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We need the message that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Let's just proclaim Jesus. Sunday school teacher, proclaim Jesus. Music pastor, proclaim Jesus. Youth pastor, proclaim Jesus. If you teach a bunch of three, four, and five-year-olds and they've got a cup of tang and some cookies at their table, just tell them about Jesus. If you've got a Sunday school classroom full of 50, 60, and 70-year-olds, whatever you do, proclaim and preach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise the Lord today. Our purpose must be the purpose of Jesus Christ. And what did he tell us? Go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen, I've quoted this statistic for you before. There are 7 billion people that live 
on this planet. And they tell us that three billion of them have little or no access to the gospel. They live in unreached people groups. And while I am all for reaching the world, and I'm convinced that there is no way that a church can grow unless it's actively involved in world missions and going abroad. Here's my concern. We've become so world mission-minded that we have neglected the harvest that is right in our backyard. Do you realize that I drive down these streets almost every day? Even though I live about 20 minutes away or so, I'm in this office almost every day. I go out in this community. I drive down these streets to run errands and get lunch and do different things. And every time I ride around, there's people walking all over these streets all the time. And here's what I, what I think that I know and that I sense and that I feel. They look so helpless. They look so hopeless. They look so lost. And while we need to be mission-minded and go into all the world, we cannot neglect what is right underneath our nose outside these four walls. We have a responsibility as a church to proclaim and preach and promote and tell this community about the Lord Jesus Christ. They are depending upon this church to do just that. We must be united in the purpose of proclaiming Jesus. I know this is a little bit different than you've heard the last year or so. We need to hear it. I'll never get through all this. And you know why? You know why the local church in America, you know why they why they're declining, why they're not growing, because we're so self-absorbed and we want everything to be done in the church for us and our family. Oh, man, I haven't preached like this since I've been here, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. This church doesn't exist for you. And I'm, this is going to make some folks a little aggravated. So when you go out to lunch, talk about me. I don't care what will be the first time, won't be the last. Pastor, are you mad? I'm not mad at all. But I'm sick of the church sitting passively by, and it starts right here with me. It starts with me not just preaching and promoting and casting vision, but we've got to get outside of these four walls. This church doesn't exist for you. It's not just about you and your family. Yes, we need to have ministry that reaches out to you and touches you and helps you, but this church exists for one reason. That's to find lost people that are far from God and tell them the good news that Jesus Christ loves them. And if we do anything less than that, we have missed the purpose of why Jesus died for the church. Oh, I feel, I feel a little resistance this morning, Brother Turpin. <clears throat> I'm going to preach it anyways. I've been setting you up for 16 months. I've just been putting change in my pocket so I can use some of it here and, and just preach right directly to you and help you. I had a purpose of proclaiming Jesus. Here's a second purpose the church had of producing followers of Christ. If you go back and read the 42nd verse of Acts, it is a picture and a portrait of spiritual growth. But here's what we do in Pentecostal circles. We preach toward an altar experience. Now listen, I'm born and raised in this. Listen, some folks, I'm tell by the look on their face, they're checking out. I'm going to preach it anyways, Pastor Tony. We preach toward an altar experience. And if we can get somebody to an altar and we can have them repeat a prayer and we can mark it down on our reports and send it to the state office, then we've done something. 
But I'm telling you, spiritual growth is not about an experience in an altar. That is only the beginning of what God wants to do in somebody's life. As a matter of fact, oh Lord, I'm way off my notes here now. We have been praying for the harvest in a way that's not even biblical. We pray, God, send the harvest. God, send that. That's not what he told us to do. And we stay behind the four walls of our church in America, and we pray, God, send the harvest. God never said to pray to send the harvest in. He said pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into the harvest field to get them. Half of you are mad and half of you are glad. Half of you don't care. I'm about to preach myself happy right here. And if you think that a hundred sinners, drug addicts, lost people, homosexuals are just going to walk in off the streets and wander into our church some Sunday, I'm telling you, it's not happening. It's not happening. So what are we going to do, Pastor? We're going to start praying for the Lord of the harvest to send workers, us, out into the harvest. Listen, I came down through town the other night, Friday night. Me and my son had been out at Draper playing a little golf. JC had a sleepover. Kelly was doing some stuff here at the church. And I drove down, and there's this circle of people. And there's some young man, I mean, just laid out on the street, head in somebody's lap. They're trying to talk to him. I'm not sure what's going on. We stopped. I said, do you need a cell phone? Can we call somebody? What can we do for you? No, we're fine. They're coming. It dawned on me that our community is full of people like that. And I'm telling you, Pastor, what's it look like? What are we going to do? What programs are we going to start? What kind of outreach are we going to do? I don't know. I haven't thought that far. Let me just get through this message first, and we'll figure out the next step. But we cannot continue to sit behind our four walls and our stained glass windows and talk about how great we used to be and how good our heritage is and how big we used to be and all the great services we used to have while people outside these walls were dying and going to hell. We must be united in the purpose of producing people that will follow Christ for their life. Spiritual growth is not an option. Well, Pastor, I came to the altar and I felt something good. Pastor, I had those little doodads on me and I cried and wept my way. That's wonderful. But it can't stop there. That's only the beginning. Is that not what Jesus had in mind? When he sees two guys fishing and says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers. Men, they left everything and followed him. Is that not what he taught us to do and commissioned us to do? We call it the great what? The Great Commission. What did he say? Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations. All nations includes this community. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Listen, our newly elected general overseer said this. Until the Great Commission becomes the Great Go Mission, then we have committed the Great omission. And being a great commission church is not having service every Sunday and praying, oh God, send us people, send us people, send us people. The gospel was not a sit ye gospel. It was a go ye gospel. And there's folks going, we've known this. We wouldn't have voted yes 16 months ago. Listen, here's the truth. We can't live on what this church used to be. <clears throat> there's a new day that's dawning for this church. And it's not 
a bunch of disgruntled church members from some other church that got mad at the pastor to come and sit in our pews. Though that may happen, it's about people that have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They're lost. They're broken. They are messed up. They are torn up. They're fragmented. They are going to hell in a handbasket if somebody doesn't tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Because you know what you get when you trade sheep, don't you? You just get the other pastor's manure that they gave to him. I'm not interested, Pastor Tony, in building a church from a bunch of disgruntled church folks. We want people that are far from God, James. And the early church was united in the purpose of proclaiming Jesus and producing followers of Christ. Here's the second thing. I got all kind of time. Number two, the early church was united in purpose. They were also united in power. They were united in the power of the Spirit that came as a result of what happened in an upper room on a day called Pentecost. Listen, how could they not be united in the power of the Spirit? Was that not the whole reason that the early church exploded and took off? It was because of what the Holy Spirit did that day. You know what Acts 2 and 43 says? That through the hands of the apostles... Signs and wonders were done. You know what that was? That came, that was, that was fruit. That came as the result of the fire that had fallen in the upper room in the early part of the book of Acts. And do you understand that when we are united together in the power of the Spirit, I'm convinced we can have another Pentecost. Lord, help them. Please help some of these folks to get what I'm trying to articulate today. I'm convinced when, we're not, when we are united together in the power of the Spirit, we can have another outpouring of God unlike anything we have ever seen before. Don't, do you ever get tired just coming to church and singing three songs and taking up an offering and hearing a three-point sermon and going home and saying, man, that was a good day? Anybody? Listen, there's more to what we're doing than what happens on a Sunday morning. There is so much more of God that He wants for us. We've yet to tap into it. What did Jesus say? These signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. Now, that's not a command. By the way, it's not a command to take up serpents, but if you have to, you'll be okay. I promise you, whatever God does in this church, there'll be no snake handling, because if it is, I'm out the door, and you'll elect a new pastor. We'll let Pastor Tony handle the snakes. <clears throat> if they drink anything deadly, we'll by no, no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Here's what somebody said. We spent so much time rejoicing in the power, we failed to use the power. Listen, why did the Holy Spirit come anyways? Did he come for us to have good church services? Are you crazy? No. Why did the Holy Spirit come so somebody can come up here and fall on the floor? Now listen, I, I'm not downplaying Pentecost. I'm all for it. But if you think the Holy Spirit came just to make you feel good and for us to have Pentecostal services and sing a bunch of songs and feel good, that's not why the Holy Ghost came. And I'm doing some good preaching today. Here's why the Holy Ghost came. You shall be my witnesses. 
Do you know why the Holy Ghost came? you know why the day of Pentecost came? It wasn't just for those 120 people to fill the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, which, by the way, I still believe it is the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He came so they could be witnesses of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and point people that were lost back to Him so they could have an experience in their lives be changed forever. They were united together in the power of the Spirit. They were united together in the power of partnership. Is that not what this unity thing is all about? It's about being together. It's about partnership. Do you realize that the early church ate together? They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They gave their monetary means together. They did life together. It wasn't about this person or that person or this ministry or that ministry. The Bible says in Acts 2, you read verses 44 through 46, they were all together. They were all together. Listen, I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. Listen, we can do more together than we could ever hope to do alone. We are much more effective together than we are alone. What is it that the Bible said in Ecclesiastes 4 and 12? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. What is it that the Bible says in Acts 4.32? Again, it's a picture of the early church. Now, those who believed, the Bible said, were of one heart and one soul. And neither did anyone say that anything he possessed was his own. They were, they were bound together and had all things in common. Now, listen to me. Everybody look right here and give me just a few minutes. We don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. Listen, we're going to have our first Board of Elders meeting tonight, right before, right before church, just an just initial meeting to get some things planned. And here's what I can guarantee you, that those seven men that are going to serve as our elders, when we, the eight of us get in there together, we're not all going to probably agree on the same thing all the time. If we do, something's wrong. Now, I'm not... I'm not inviting or asking for conflict and disagreement. Pastor Weaver, you ever had a council in all your years of ministry that every single one of them believed the same thing, had the same opinion, and said, yeah, okay, let's do it? No, not a chance. And we're not going to see eye to eye all the time in this church. We don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. But we do have to be together. Pastor, you're sure you're not preaching from some kind of, 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 of fragmentation or something? No, I'm telling you, everything's fine. And Lord help me, I said I, probably, I, I wouldn't talk about it a whole lot anymore, but I'm telling you, this church has already been through a fracture. We're not going to go through another one. They were united together in partnership. Listen, you know, the, you know the power of partnership? You know what happened that day? Because the early church was together like that, you know what happened? 3,000 people got saved at one time. Peter preached for 25 verses, opened up. An invitation. And 3,000 people said, I want Jesus in my life. Tell you, when we get together like we need to be together, I'm telling you, we can move some serious barns around this community. We can do things that we could never do when we're together. Here's the last point. 
They were united together in purpose. They were united together in power. And they were united together in praise. Let me close on this last point right here. The Bible says in Acts 2.47, it says, and praising God. If you'll give me five minutes, I promise I'll be done. And praising God. I believe there are three types of praise that a church should be united in. I believe they should be united in a praise that is based on what God has done. I call it a past tense praise. It's that praise that looks back and it thanks God for everything that he has done. And B, there's no doubt that the New Testament church in the book of Acts 2, they looked back at all that God had done from the upper room up to that point. They had a lot to be thankful for, didn't they? And listen, when you look back at the 97-year history of this church, I would say, I know we have a lot to be thankful for, do we not? I mean, you've had some of the greatest pastors and preachers stand here on this platform. You've had some of the greatest music pastors to stand on this platform. You've had some of the greatest youth pastors. You've had some of the greatest services and revivals that the church of God has ever seen. And this church has much to be thankful for. And there should never be a time that we don't look back and we say, God, thank you for what you've done the last 97 years in the history of Pulaski Church of God. But God, while we are grateful for what you have done, we can't settle and stay there because there's more that you want to do through us. Pastor, come help me lay in this, please. <clears throat> There's a past tense praise. But there's a second type of praise that I think that the church should be united around. I call that a present tense praise. And that is a praise that is based on what God is doing right now. And there is no doubt in my mind that the early church looked at what God was doing because the Bible said he, was, he added to the church daily. Somebody say daily. Daily. He added to the church daily. Daily. I mean, so every day, they could get up and say, thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for what's happening right now. There should never be a time that we fail to give God praise for what he's doing. And I'm telling you, God <clears throat> has been good to us the last several months. God has helped us. God has sustained us. And even right this very moment, we can look at this church and we can say, God, thank you for what you are doing. But there's a third one. I call it a future tense praise. I call it a praise that is based on credit because it says, God, I know you're good for it. It's a praise that is based on faith that says, God, there's good things that are coming. We're going to praise you before they ever get here. Watch this. There's a Hebrew word for that kind of praise. <clears throat> and it's called tada, T-O-W-D-A-H. 
Say it. Say ta-da. Say it again. Say ta-da. You know what a ta-da praise is? It's when you give worship. Watch this now. We, we did it this morning. It's when you give worship by the extension of your hands. In adoration or in agreement for what God has done and what God is going to do. We did it this morning. Pastor Tony led us in worship, and some of you were back there. I turned around to watch you. You were to die in the Lord. Some of you were doing that as a way of, God, thank you for what you have done in my life. But when you tadah the Lord, it's not just about what God has done, but it's an extension of the hands. And you listen, you can't tadah the Lord if you don't raise your hands. This is not to die in the Lord. That's not a praise. <clears throat> That's either one of two things. That's either you're just very laid back, or number two, you're grumpy because you had a bad morning. You brought it into church with you. It's one of the two. I'm going to get myself in trouble today. <clears throat> And it's an extension of the hands that is an act of adoration or agreement for what God has done or what God is going to do. Why would it be the hands? Because you know anything about the Old Testament? And when there would be a, a business deal transacted or done, you know how they would seal that deal? They'd be at the city gate, Brother Turpin. And one man would take his right hand and put it in the right hand of the other man, and they would seal a deal. And they would say, stand up here so I can let these folks see this. They would say, we're in covenant together. What does the Bible say? That at, at the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. And you realize that when the birthright blessing would be passed down, the dad would take his right hand. So here's what happens when we extend our hands in adoration or agreement. Really what we're doing is we're, we're placing our hand in the hand of God and we're saying, we receive your covenant, God. Man, that's some good preaching teaching right there. When we tadah the Lord, we're saying, God, we, 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 we agree with your covenant and we bring ourselves into alignment with you. We agree with what you have done, but we agree with what you're going to do in our lives. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice of praise before the reception or the manifestation of something. It goes a little something like this. Maybe you're sick in your body, and you've got a report, and it just doesn't look like anything's going to change. You know what you do? You go into a tada praise. Raise up your hands. And you say, God, I thank you that five years ago, you healed my body when I was in the same spot. Oh, I feel this right here. And God, I'm agreeing with you for what you have done. But God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a ta-da praise right here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank you for what you're going to do. God, though I can't feel anything right now, 
And though, God, I can't see anything right now, I know what the doctor's report has said. I know it looks bad, and I know it looks bleak. But, God, I'm going to give you a ta-da praise. I'm going to raise up my hands thanking you for what you have done. But, God, I'm going to give you a faith praise that is based on credit because I know that your word says with your stripes I am healed. I know that the Bible says you sent your word and you healed every disease that I have. So, God, I'm going to raise up my hands right now. I'm going to ta-da you, and I'm going to thank you for what you're going to do in my life. Tada praise looks back and thanks God but it looks ahead Pastor Tony and it celebrates what God is going to do Hallelujah. I'm telling you there's some of you you've lost your song some of you've lost your song you know what? Let me even be a little more specific here. I felt this this week. In the natural sense, now help me, some of you older folks, this church has always been known for a sound of praise and worship with singing, has it not? I mean, there's been years ago when I've heard this rostrum was just packed with people in a choir. I've talked with my buddy David Jarvis when he had that young adult choir with Maybe a hundred plus voices up here saying, this church has always been known as a church that has a song, a song of praise and worship, and it's been known for its music. Because we've walked through some hard places and some difficult places, this church has lost some of its song. Mm, listen, I'm not preaching now. I'm just, I'm just operating under the unction of the Holy Ghost right here. And it's time that we get our song back again. Because there's a community that's depending on us. It's kind of like what I read in Psalm 137. The children of Israel were taken into Babylonian captivity. And they said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we, we wept. We cried because we, God, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. We thought about how good it used to be, and we wept because of where we were. They said, we took our harps, and we hung them in the willow tree. That's a sign of a song. That's a sign of their worship, of their praise. And we hung our harp in a willow tree. The only sounds they made was an old mournful, foreboding, forlorn sound as the wind came through those trees and blowed those harp strings, and it sounded so unnatural. And our captors said to us, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. We want to hear your song. We want to hear the songs of praise you used to sing to that God Jehovah you talked about. And in response, they said back, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange and a foreign land? I'm just going to obey the Holy Ghost right here. And there's some folks, they don't like when I talk about it. 
it, 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 it frustrates and, and, and bothers some people when I talk about what we've been through. But you can't talk about where you're going until you've talked about what you've been through. I feel really bold and that's really a bad thing. Somebody better, you better save me because I'm going to probably say something I shouldn't say and I'll just blame it on the anointing. And if you're a guest here today, don't, don't, don't feel uncomfortable. But I'm just going to tell you about 16 months ago, this church was fractured and went through a horrible, horrible time. I'm not here today to lay any blame, cast any blame or even say why or how come, but here's the point. This church was fractured. My first Sunday, I stood here, there were 225 people to church that at one time, at its strongest point, just several years ago, reigned 450 or 500 people. Because we've already been through, we need to quit bringing up the past. Listen, you can't walk into a future God has if all you're going to do is ignore what happened in the past. Yeah, it happened. It was hard. It hurt. It was rough. But I'm telling you today, the devil had a plan to shut this place down. He had a plan to silence the song of this great church. But I want to tell the devil, you're a day late, baby, and you're a dollar shirt. Jesus is building this church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. God is raising up this church again in this community. We are one. Hallelujah. Come on. Somebody praise the Lord. Stand up on your feet all over this place.